On this episode, I'm in the room with Jason Jimenez discussing his new book, Abandoned Faith. Welcome to In the Room, episode number 59. My name is Ryan Hughley, and I'm the senior pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Hickory, North Carolina. Today, I'm in the room with author Jason Jimenez discussing his new book, Abandoned Faith, which is all about why millennials are walking away and how you can lead them home. Uh, I'm here, as always, with the one, the only... The Scott, in, the infamous Scott Douglas Holthouse, the greatest reciter of the Disney rap songs that there ever has been. You did crush Moana. I felt good about it. I listened back to it and I was proud of myself. Good. So you didn't edit it because you felt so no good. No way about it. I didn't edit that. Are you <laughs> kidding me? What the world to know. All right. So we have, there's a, this is a pretty serious subject matter that we have to talk about today mm-hmm. uh, on this um, episode. And this is a real problem. Um, that is really an epidemic in the church today of millennials walking away. So we got plenty of heavy stuff to talk about. Yes. So before we get too heavy, yeah. let's start on a little bit of a lighter note. All right. And let's here comes it. your surprise question here for the day. Go. I hope people know I never know these until so, the moment I hear no, them. No, they don't. You learn it on the fly with yep. the rest of the, the audience, which is just delightful. Yeah. So you are a, um, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm a millennial, depends on who you talk to. Yeah. Because it's like either 80 or 82. Okay. All right. So you were born in what? Like 90? 86. 86. (laughs) Show me a little respect. All right. So 86. 86. So you are actually a millennial. I am. All right. So, and you're representing them well. I want you to know. Full-blooded. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. So um, what, as a millennial, what are your favorite movies that came out between the years of 1990 and the year 2000. I bet you without you answering, I'm going to be able to guess at least three of them. Well, the two that popped into my head were yep. Three Ninjas and Mighty Ducks. I got, I am two for two. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> Amazing movies. And then I would probably say the, the um, I think it might be the second Ninja Turtles. What's the one with the, with the pizza guy? I didn't, I actually have not seen any of the Ninja Turtle movies, believe that or not. You know how you feel about me and Star Wars? Yeah. That's how I now feel about you and Ninja Turtles. I know, Turtles. but the thing is that my thing's credible and cool and real, and you're thinking, yeah. not, not real like Star Wars <laughs> no, is real. No, no, That's no, not what I meant. You cannot take it back. You cannot take it back. <laughs> Let the not. record show <laughs> that you believe Star Wars is real, that currently there's a battle going on in space. Listen, it was a long time ago in a galaxy <laughs> far, far away. That's it true. could be real. You don't know. <laughs> You cannot. Yeah, and there might be crime-fighting turtles. I don't know. There Do could you? Be. I don't. I've not seen. With- <laughs> I personally have encountered aggressive snapping turtles before. <laughs> who knows? It's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. It's the same. I just watched Three Ninjas with Ryder, who stayed home sick one day. What did he think? Uh, he liked it, oh, and I'm going to say it. It holds up pretty well. It's still it pretty does. funny. We, uh, uh, Becky and I actually watched it. We didn't watch it with any children, so yeah. just us. A little lamer, but it's yeah, okay. Yeah, it was a date night movie. Um, <laughs> so romantic. Yeah, but there's a lot of lines from that that we quote back and forth. Yeah. Same with Mighty Ducks. I actually, uh, I would, I played hockey growing up, mm-hmm. and I would, uh, especially as a kid, it takes a long time to get your hockey pads on. Yeah. Um, and I'd watch Mighty Ducks. While you I, did it? Yeah. Just yeah. to get pumped. Yeah. Just to get awesome. pumped up. Yeah. And it worked really well. All right. Mighty Ducks, Three Ninjas. Anything else to round out your top three? Uh, 
Well, the, I think the Ninja Turtles. What I was oh, that really is your third. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, but I can't remember. We're still the, talking about that, huh? We are. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Would you rather talk about the real space battle currently happening? Yeah, I would. Okay. Yeah. Episode. Sure. Yeah. Episode eight. It's getting and ready your to come out. Klingons and all that. <laughs> no, do not. Do not. <laughs> it's my favorite. Go there. It's my favorite. I know every time. Just so you know, I know every time I do that, but I do it on purpose. Yeah. Um. I think the nin- Yeah. I think Ninja Turtles. The one with Shredder. I think it was the first, maybe. I would hope that the first one had Shredder. It was amazing. Yeah. Anyone I, over the age of 40 right now has ceased listening to this episode. Yes. Yeah. But really, they probably ceased a little while That's ago. That's true. That's probably true. <laughs> All right. So let's get into this conversation with Jason Jimenez. Uh, this is a subject matter that um, I think weighs on me a lot when we planted Redemption in particular. Uh, one of the big driving forces for me was uh, certainly a desire to see the next generation come to know Jesus. Yep. I think it's a massive, I think even as you read through the Old Testament, you see that one of the things that led to um, an entire generation of God's people walking away is an older generation not being intentional and faithful in the biblical mandate to hand the things of God to the next generation. Mm -hmm. And I think in talking with Jason uh, through this conversation, I learned that that's really what we're at risk of doing again. And I think it's so easy to um, sort of stereotype and throw stones at millennials and crack all kinds of easy jokes about living in mom's basement. And I mean, that's like a true thing. Sure. And you shouldn't do that. No. Like get your own place and a job. Yeah. yeah. But to just constant criticism is not super helpful. So I appreciate uh, his willingness to draw good research-based attention to the problem and still to be so hopeful about a way forward and optimistic. And so uh, I think this will be really, really helpful, especially if you are a part of the millennial generation, if you have uh, kids there uh, in that age frame or are a ministry leader. So come on in the room for my conversation with Jason Jimenez. Well, Jason, thanks so much for coming on the room, uh, in the room. It's great to have you. Excited to talk about your new book, Abandoned Faith, Why Millennials Are Walking Away and How You Can Lead Them Home. Um, but I want to start just introducing you to people who aren't familiar with you and your ministry. So why don't you just tell me a little bit about your background, where you're from, your upbringing, and uh, how you got to the point that you are in your current ministry. Yeah. Well, Ryan, it's an honor to be with you, and I just thank you for this opportunity. Well, my background is I'm originally from Arizona. Okay. So, of course, I'm not an illegal Mexican. I got I came here illegally, okay. you know, with my family. Good. Well, Trump but, will be uh, very I, excited to hear that. Yeah, exactly. Trump yeah. loves Mexicans, so that's a good thing. So yeah. I'm well-loved yes. by our president. But no, I grew up literally like 20 minutes uh, from the border okay. and a great family. I was raised Catholic, and my dad um, had a major conversion in his life from one of my family members. And I remember distinctively when I was in grade school, him coming home and just talking more about Jesus than ever before. Hmm. And uh, I remember having conversations with my parents a little bit and some other family members, my two older brothers came to Christ, got baptized in my grandmother's pool when I was about 10 years old. That's awesome. And just remember just wanting to devour the scriptures and had a lot of questions about the faith because of the way that I was raised. It was, again, a very, very devout, very loving Hispanic family that I come from. Uh, and so we're very open, very open about our political views, spiritual views, right and wrong, that kind of thing. But I, I began to really wrestle with some of these deeper questions as I got older. And then suddenly at 15, my mother my mother was killed in a car accident. And it just really just rocked my world. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember distinctively that my mom, before she died, 
she told me, it was almost like prophetic. She says, you know, God's going to use you. You have a calling in your life. You need to be faithful to to listen to God's voice and be in his word every day. Well, then I lose her. And I wasn't mad at God, but it was one of those things at 15. I mean, again, a young man, uh, you know, I had two older brothers, one younger. My dad was so like lost without his wife. It was really sad. It was a tragic time, but it was a it was a bonding time, you know, and, and so these trials that we were going through really drew us cl- uh, closer together. And it was also an opportunity in my life to really pursue God, I think, on a more intimate level. Mm-hmm. And God just started to put pastors in my life and they started to just surround me and just pour into me and disciple me and teach me the word. And then when I graduated, I started to study philosophy at the University of Arizona. And just I had all these just like deep questions and not a whole lot of people around me were, were giving me sufficient answers. Again, this is before YouTube. The internet wasn't really big yeah. at the time, didn't have a lot of content. And so, you know, I'd go to the library, or try to find a local, you know, Christian store to grab some of these books. And mm-hmm. lo and behold, I, I I came across several names, like the Josh McDowells and the Ravi Zacharias. And there was one in particular that I was very fond of. His name is Dr. Norman Geisler. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of your audience know who that is. Yep. Well, fast forward, you know, my wife and I got married in 2001, and we we're I was a young pastor working with students, children's ministry college, there in Tucson, Arizona. And I just had this burden that I wanted to pursue more philosophy, more apologetics, more theology. And so one year, my wife and I came to an apologetic conference here, where I now live in Charlotte, North Carolina. I met the legendary Dr. Geisler uh, and a few other apologists, kept you know in communication with them when I moved back to Tucson, or we went back to Tucson. And then lo and behold, I moved out here at the time with two small kids and my wife and I just stepped out in faith. We packed up. We left a great church. We left our family, came to Charlotte, and I started to go to seminary to study apologetics under Dr. Geisler. And then I was on staff at a mega church uh, here in Charlotte for many years and just have been mentored by some of the greatest minds alive, Ravi, mm-hmm. Zacharias, and Dr. Geisler. And then about 2012, after working in the church for nearly 15, 16 years, with families particularly, mm-hmm. The biggest problem that I was seeing over and over again, broken marriages, defiance, certainly that was the norm, Mm -hmm. but just this lack of biblical worldview training that most Christians, and this isn't, this isn't a put down, it was just a fact from parents to young people. And it just troubled me, Ryan, so much so to where my wife and I began to pray more about it. And, you know, we were trying to do things, Dr. Geyser and I were doing apologetics stuff in our local church in Charlotte. And he and I were traveling together, uh, and I was just seeing kind of the world in a different perspective. And then that's when God called us in 2012 to start a nonprofit ministry called Stand Strong Ministries. And our sole purpose is we reinforce biblical truth in the culture, whether that's in the church, with families, working with young people. We go out there, we defend the faith, we articulate what the Christian perspective is on many issues regarding um, marriage, gender identity, uh, what the what our Christian faith is, what we believe as Christians. So we've been privileged now, all these years later, to to write several books with a lot of leading Christian thinkers, with mm-hmm. a lot of great publishers like you know Tyndale with Focus on the Family and yeah. and Baker Books. So that's that's what I do. And I travel the world and I engage people with the gospel of Jesus Christ and try to articulate as best I can through the power of the Holy Spirit what it is that we as Christians believe and why we believe it and how do you articulate that in this changing world, this more skeptical world that we live in. And so that's a, that's a passion and burden that we have. And so ultimately, as I'm on the podcast with you right now, mm-hmm. my burden is for millennials, this yeah. next generation. And so yeah. I, I just, I love them. 
I'm very optimistic. And so I'm just excited to talk to you about the book. Yeah, well, the book is called Abandoned Faith, and it is about this real, I mean, genuine epidemic of millennials uh, leaving the faith and the church. And so what is it exactly that got you so interested in this project? Well, I, I think a burden that most of us share, Ryan, in the church, and again, if we're honest, and I'll be the first to admit, mm -hmm. there is a major level of discouragement that many pastors that we experience today. I mean, if you look at it, we call it the graying of the church in America. What that means is the church predominantly is older in generation yeah. and is less younger. And so that's where the biggest problem that that I've that you and I were talking about before the, the show is the lack of transferable faith. And mm -hmm. when I started to, to really look at that and see through scripture that, again, one of the major blessings in the Bible was the transferable, the, the remembering what God has done and keeping his promises and obeying his commandments and passing it to generation after generation. You see mm -hmm. that in Psalm 73 and Psalm 78. Of course, we clearly see that in the Torah and Deuteronomy 6. But when you look at what you and I are faced with as pastors today, I'd hate to admit it, but it's true. Most pa most parents have been clueless. And so these young people are really confused and lost. Mm -hmm. And when you come from broken families and a disconnected community in a church, and you don't have the articulation of what we as Christians believe, you really get this smorgasbord of convoluted views that a lot mm -hmm. of these young people hold. And that, to be honest, it really ticks me off mm -hmm. because the Christian faith is just amazing. The love of Christ the, the, the power of the cross, the resurrection, what we have through the redemption of Jesus, mm -hmm. looking at the solid proof uh, when you look at the lines of evidence and the credibility of Christianity yeah. throughout, the, the, throughout the Old to New Testament and looking at the power of the early church and mm -hmm. seeing what God is still doing among pastors like you and others and all the great resources that we have available and yet seeing that there's such a blindness among this young generation, and yet they are seeking. And I said, you know, God, I want to be a voice for this young generation. So yeah. whatever I need to do to reach them, I pray that my wife and I would be willing to do it. Yeah. And so far, God has been so faithful to that call. That's good. Well, you hear a lot of things, but I really appreciate about the fact that you've done an immense amount of research. And so paint a picture for me of where we actually are. Like what's actually happening with millennials and the Christian faith right now? Well, let's let's take a little survey. When you look at millennials, we're talking about people that are born after 1980 to about 2004. Mm -hmm. This is the largest generation America has ever seen. That's, I mean, think about it. In our short span of history under 300 years, 80 million of the current people that are populating America are known as millennials. Right. And so the oldest ones obviously are entering their 30s now. Now, when you take the 80 million of those, here's what's sad, Ryan. 20, about 20 years ago, when you started to see these, they were kids then, right? They're yep. young kids. And you're seeing them growing up now in a internet world, okay, mm -hmm. where they're tapping into these new devices and things, you know, as, as things are evolving and the technology was advancing. They, this generation has had immediate access to stuff that you and I, even when we we're growing up, that we didn't. Totally. Okay. The library was there, right? A click of a button. And so the sad thing is what we start to see, this trend unfold as a result. One, because their parents are biblically literate, churches are very divided, and you have this internet access to where this secular, atheistic, naturalistic worldview is at their disposal. So they're getting information quicker than when they get into university because it's right there. And what you're, what you're finding early on was a lot of them were actually leaving the church sooner 
and earlier than previous generations. Now, when you take a total now of, of the millennials and you looked at five years ago to mm-hmm. now, five years ago, 20% of millennials, and remember I said 80 million, yep. believed to be pretty much nuns. They were unaffiliated to any religious organization. They were skeptical, atheistic. That's kind of the category that they fell in. Well, new studies come out with with many ministries. I work with Summit Ministries and Barna Group. 36% of millennials today categorize themselves as either skeptics, atheists, or nuns. They're so non-affiliated. A 16% jump in five 16%. years. 16%. Yeah, 16%. I mean, this is astounding. You think, why on earth is because we have information, boom, like that. Yeah. And that's disturbing. So that's kind of where we're at with these millennials is where a lot of them are becoming more skeptical But at the same time, because it's such a big generation, there are a lot of them who are Christian. But here's a sad reality, Ryan, and hopefully this is kind of a a, a reality check for a lot of your listeners. Mm -hmm. Less than 5% of millennials who profess to be Christian actually have a biblical worldview. They know what they believe, why they believe, and they're able to articulate it. So even though there's a, there's a population of them that profess that Christ as their Lord and Savior, a lot of them have a messed up understanding of what it is to be a Christian. They've never been discipled. They have a lot of doubt. There's a lot of issues there. You, you know that over half the millennials come from broken families, as yeah. it is. So a lot of them come from blended families. Yeah. And this has really messed things up. And so that's kind of the landscape of where millennials are at. Yeah. But nevertheless— there is a remnant, and I think it's rising, it's growing. There's yeah. a revival that's breaking out among millennials, Agreed. and they want they want solid core doctrinal teaching about the Christian faith. Yeah, you mentioned the family unit, um, and I want to come back to that in just a second. But in the book I read, uh, you guys said that there, you know, eighty percent of Americans are biblically illiterate. You mentioned biblical illiteracy is a problem a minute ago. So talk a little bit about what what impact does that have? on this situation? Is biblical illiteracy the number one reason why they lack a biblical worldview? Or what, what do you think the impact of the, that high percentage of biblical illiteracy in our country, how has that impacted this whole? I mean, is that why parents can't transfer their faith? Because they they're biblically illiterate as well? Yeah. Well, yeah. Let me set this up by saying this. When you and I look at this mass exodus that's been taking place now for a decade that we've really been looking at these young yeah. people just you know leaving, and, and I've been in student ministry for many years, and, and I certainly was seeing that across the board, working from Arizona all the way here to North Carolina. Well, but if you take, if you take a look back about three decades ago, what was happening was men were, were mass exiting from yeah. leading yeah. their home yeah. and leading in the church. Okay. So, so when we talk about this mass exodus of young people today, there was already something that was taking place, you know, three decades ago, and that was men were not leading. So we have a manhood issue that yeah. feeds into the biblical literacy. And I, I remind people, Ryan, about this. If you and I were to take the level of, of illiteracy that is among Christians and apply it to any profession out there from building, from engineering, from medicine, um, you people would be killed, right? Mm-hmm. Because of lack, because of ignorance. They don't know what they're doing. We don't put people in these positions who clearly have no credentials or experience. And the sad reality is, there's a lot of people out there that claim to be Christian, but if you and I were to quote survey them right. and question and challenge their faith biblically with proper theology, you and I would find out that you know what? I'm not even sure you even know what it means to be a Christian. Right. So there's a lot of confusion there. And so to answer your question. What has biblical literacy done? 
we're seeing it. Mm-hmm. We're seeing how ineffective the church is today. We're seeing that Christians, they don't articulate. They don't engage in the public square. We're not making disciples, even though Jesus gave us the great commission to do so. We're to defend the faith at all costs. We're to always give an answer to those you know, who, who are seeking. And most Christians, whether uh, when we're, you know, if they have the opportunity to, to be challenged, they, they dodge it because of, of intimidation. They don't want to lose a friendship as a result, or they're too afraid. Well, what if somebody asks me a question I don't know? Yeah. So they disengage. So that's that's what biblical literacy has done. Mm-hmm. It's it's not motivated the 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 the, the, the enlightened uh, Christian. You know, we call them truth bearers mm-hmm. to be out there in a generation to lead people to Christ. Instead, we're kind of like lost in our own world. I and mean, I think as a result, a lot of us have become apathetic mm-hmm. because of our ignorance. We're 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 disengaged as a result. And and we, you and I were talking earlier. And there's this this critical spirit I think as a result that has kind of hovered around yeah. the church body. And and biblical literacy, when you have an inactive church that's not giving and serving. And they kind of complain, yes, that's biblical literacy, but the scripture says that's a lukewarm person. Mm -hmm. And that's a result that we have. And then now you have a young generation looking at these Christians and saying, that's not a good example. That's not a good witness. Right. That's hypocrisy. Right. You know? Yep. And 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 that's the sad reality. And so that's why now we have to. That's why we wrote the book. We have to face this abandonment. Yep. We got to take responsibility mm-hmm. of what we, as the older generation, have done to contribute mm-hmm. to that. Yeah. Ask for forgiveness but seek for hope and healing as a result. That's good. And I I do want to talk about solutions in just a second, but um, I think it's really important to understand the problem before we, you know, start building solutions. And so both parents and the local church have varying levels of responsibility in this whole thing. So what would you say are some factors both within the family unit and within the local church that have contributed to this problem? Well, I think one is moms and dads, simply put, they have... I don't want to use the word fail so much, but I think that we have not made it a priority of faith. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 you know, I recommend when people get the book that are listening to the show, Ryan, mm-hmm. but there's a chart that I put together and I actually started to formulate this idea before even the book came about with focus on the family. A few years ago as a pastor, I was trying to understand, trying to get in the mind of the millennial, if you will. Mm-hmm. And what I had to do is I had to go back to their upbringing And one of the fundamental things that I found, and this is just speaking about the young people in America today, that that they were raised, if you will, in the church. Mm -hmm. But one of the things I found was that that sports is a huge thing in most of their lives. Now, this is a generation that we, and again, we poke fun sometimes, um, and you know, we could be a little sarcastic, but in in no way, shape, or form are we belittling um, the millennials or mm-hmm. putting down parents and saying they did a horrible job. But yeah. this has definitely been a generation where they've been pampered. We've mm-hmm. babied them. Everyone's a winner. Everyone yep. gets a trophy, yep. that type of thing. So that is the upbringing that a lot of these millennials competition, you know, it's more about motivating them to be who they want to be and they're special. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have this mentality. And so when you look at faith in the context, I think what parents have failed to do is, that faith is the number one. And I hate to label in terms of number one, but yeah. it is the most important thing in our life. They say it is, but at the end of the day, and I've spoken to thousands of young people, if you were to take life and again, we construct it into a pie, mm-hmm. what percentage of that pie is your faith? And you know what? Here's the reality. Most of them say it's less than 50%. Yeah. The other thing I'd say about parents where a lot of them have dropped the ball big time is over 72% of millennials when asked when we were doing we're writing this book, okay, this is and taking uh, information from Barna, from Summit Ministries, 
and from other people who work with young people across the country, 72% of them, when asked, do you respect and honor your parents' marriage? 72% of them, Ryan, said no. Wow. That's awesome. So that's, that's devastating. So that those are big issues. So when, when faith was not a priority and they were not modeling for them what marriage is, mm-hmm. that's a big, big problem. And then the thing in terms of the church is I believe strongly the church has not taught proper theology. You remember catechism? Mm-hmm. I mean, they, you just have watered down so much yeah. uh, of really training them to think critically and and making them uh, making disciples. And then by the time people graduate from you know from high school, I believe personally that by that time you're 17, 18 years old, I think you should know what your spiritual gifts are. Yeah. You should have already been investing in the church in these things. Yeah. And most young people, they never got that from the church. They right. felt church was kind of rigid. Mm-hmm. It was kind of unsafe. It wasn't really a place for them to to share their struggles or their doubts because they felt like if I was a skeptic, that was a bad thing and I'm not really saved. Mm-hmm. You know. And we, we, we sometimes we don't create an atmosphere where they can wrestle through these things. And so I think that's where the church has also failed these young people. Yeah. Hey, sorry for interrupting the conversation, but I wanted to tell you about uh, a project that I've worked hard on over the last year and I'm very excited about. It's my new book, Eight Hours or Less, Writing Faithful Sermons Faster. Uh, Time in our culture is one of our greatest commodities. And one of the biggest time investments for pastors is certainly sermon preparation. Uh, But what if there were a way for you to write better sermons in less time? And that's really my hope and my prayer for my new book, Eight Hours or Less. Uh, It's a step-by-step guide for improving your process and being the best steward of time uh, that God's given you. And so if you have not yet had an opportunity and you've been blessed by the podcast, uh, it would be a huge blessing to me if you would uh, run over to Amazon.com or uh, my website, RyanHughley.com, and pick up your copy of Eight Hours or Less. So let's talk a little bit about solution then, starting on the, the parental end. So you've talked about uh, transferring of faith um, being very important. So maybe you could talk a little bit about what that means. Obviously, marital health, um, mm-hmm. if, if whatever it was, 72% said that they yeah. did not you know, believe in or honor or respect their, I mean, goodness gracious. So what, what would be some things that parents that are listening that, that maybe are in, let's frame it in the season of, I still have young kids, right? So your kids are still in the home. You still have a shot at this. What would be some things immediately that you would tell them to get really serious about? Well, you know, and these are simple things, but I just want to remind your listeners, Mm -hmm. no matter how simple they are, and you could think in your head right now, well, that's pretty practical, but Mm -hmm. you know how many of us fail to do it because you get sucked into the business of the day or because of intimidation. That's another thing, by the way, before I, I, I get into this, Ryan, I want to say that intimidation has been one of the things that has crippled a lot of parents. Most parents lack the confidence that they're even influential in their child's life. Yeah. They need to rebuke that. That is a that is a lie from Satan himself. God mm-hmm. has put moms and dads. They've they've given us a beautiful treasure. I have four of them. Mm-hmm. I have two teenagers and two younger. And my wife and I are, are the two most influential people in those children's lives. Mm-hmm. Now we're blessed and thankful to have a biblical church of surrogate uh, aunts and uncles and grandparents who pour into them. Um, and, 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 and as such, we see many, many, uh, uh, beautiful results that come from there, but moms and dads got to realize that you are still the number one influencer in That's your good. child's life. So what I would say to them is 
if there's a disconnect, I'll give you a prime example. It just mm-hmm. occurred yesterday. We got stopped. My wife and I are at a prayer meeting in our church, and we're leaving. And this woman that we've known for quite some time, we haven't seen her much, mm-hmm. and she's a greeter at the Christian school there. And she just stopped us, and she was very distraught. And we asked her what's going on, and she said, "You know, my teenage kids, um, you know, they're struggling." And we, so we started to ask her some questions as to why and what her and her husband are trying to do. Now, one of the things that I that I caught on real quickly was, again, the dad is a great man of God, mm-hmm. but he's very busy. He works a lot. Mm-hmm. They, as a family, don't spend that much time together. So mm-hmm. what I would say first and foremost is mom and dad listening right now, how much time do you really spend on a daily basis? Yeah. When you look at the week as a whole. But on a daily basis, do you spend with your kids that live at home still? That's key. Make That's that a priority. Yeah. Dinner is always a big thing in my home. It's a big thing. When I, I travel a lot, but when I'm home, it's dinner time with a family and it's uninterrupted. Yeah. There's been a lot of times where people want to do an interview or whatever. And my, my kids know, my wife knows that no, family time is a priority. So I would encourage parents to do that. The mm-hmm. other thing I'd say is if you've blown it, and there is some animosity, there's some resentment, there's some issues like we were talking about with his mom yesterday. It was mm-hmm. clear that the the husband got so busy that he's lost track of spending time with the in this case, really their oldest son who's yeah. copying an attitude. And the yeah. and the mom would get the brunt of it at home. Yeah. And then it would cause some arguments when the husband would get home and he got insecure and he'd re- he would retreat. Yeah. Well, what we need to do is we need to make sure that when we have these conversations in moms and dads. We don't let the attitude of the teen affect us to where we get an attitude and we and we you know yeah. uh, bring it out on our spouse. But the other thing I'd say is if there is some issues there, take responsibility of it. Not not fully in, in, in you know saying I, I take blame for everything. Yeah. But let your kids know right now if someone's listening to this and they need to say you know what I need to do that today before we go to bed tonight. I need to get my family together. Yeah. I can have a parent family meeting you know and and write out a, a, a syllabus, but just say you know what I've realized. And it's been a burden lately that I have not probably been the best example and just ask for forgiveness. I think those are just very practical things. And I'd say one last thing. I use the acronym LOVE, and we put this in the book. It's a very easy way that helps guide my wife and myself Mm -hmm. and my kids. And the acronym is LOVE. L stands for laugh. So I always tell parents, how often do you laugh with your family? How how often do you have fun and just, Mm -hmm. just chill and just just have fun, you know, whether it's through a movie or something. O stands for open. As parents, we need to set the tone and be open with them. Mm-hmm. The more transparent we are, the more transparent they're going to be. V stands for value. Every family member contributes to some extent. That's good. And we need to show that there's value and significance that each one of us has. And E is encourage every day. Look for an opportunity to be affectionate and to encourage your children That's and great, your spouse. Man. It's super good. So before we talk about what the church can do, because I am very curious as a pastor to hear your answer to that, um, one of the things I appreciate about the tone uh, in your guys' book is that at no point did you speak in an overtly discouraging way to parents. Parents are already mm-hmm. discouraged, so many. So I'm curious, we've talked about what parents who still have a shot and that their kids are still in the house, but what? how would you encourage a parent who feels like, well, that ship sailed, my kids are out, in college or, you know, even older and are walking away from the faith or have mm-hmm. walked away, what would you say just by way of encouragement, what, what can they still do? Yeah. Wow. That's powerful. You know, and this is a, that's a, you know, it's a hard question to answer because when you and I think about the, the crisis situations that we deal with, 
with a lot of parents right now. They're probably listening. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of the prodigals that are out there. But you know what? No matter how difficult and painful, I mean, I just was doing an interview recently, and a caller called in Ryan, and they had three. His 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 wife had died mm-hmm. uh, of a brain tumor and left three children, and that was a few years ago. And he said every one of them is not walking with the Lord. And matter of fact, <sighs> his one of his daughters out of out of two was living the lesbian lifestyle. And none of them want to have anything to do with God. Mm-hmm. And he just was weeping and crying. And we just prayed for him. We just lifted him up and gave him to the Lord yeah. and and just really encouraged him to say, you know, trust in the Lord. God is good. You know, we pray that your kids would taste and know that the Lord is good. And we and you got to trust that what you and your wife did while she was still here on this earth. Now, obviously, my heart breaks a little bit more, I think, because I've I've experienced a loss of a mother. And, sure. and so when he's telling me some of the struggles these kids are going through, I really was able to speak to him because of experience. So that was helpful for him, but really in the end was like, you know what? You have to trust with Proverbs 22, 6. When you train up the, the, the any one of your children in the ways of the Lord, mm-hmm. look at we as Christians are perfect in Christ, mm-hmm. but we can't do things perfectly on our own. Mm-hmm. And so this is not a matter of saying, well, you know, woulda, coulda, shoulda. So one of the things I tell parents right here, right now, no matter where your kids are right now, you cannot own their faith. You cannot right. own every decision that they have made and that they're currently making, and you cannot fret and worry as Jesus tells us time and time again, yeah. not to worry, but so many parents do, and they take the burden to the extent to where they're not trusting in the Lord. And so, what? And I tell a story in the book, and hopefully this will speak to the parents listening right now. If you've allowed the situation, the spiritual condition that's that represents darkness in your kid's life right now, and you keep reflecting back, what it could have should attitude. If I just did this better, am I a good parent? Do they really love me? Are they ever gonna come back to Jesus? You know, woe is me kind of thing. If they're so consumed by that, what in essence we need to look at is their lack of faith that they have in the mm-hmm. power of Christ. Mm-hmm. We focus so much on the denial, the rejection, the rebellion of our kids that we oftentimes as parents neglect to realize that, you know what? I'm almost like, I'm at a stage of rebellion in my own life because I'm yeah. trying to handle too much of the problems of my kid. Yeah. And you know what? And one of the simple, easy ways of doing that is spend time in the presence of a holy God. And in response to that, cry out to God and say, Lord, can you please bring me people? And you know what, Ryan, you and I tell people all the time as pastors, there are so many people that God has placed in your life that will help you work through these things. But a lot of times moms and dads just kind of hold it in. Yeah, They hold it in. And we say, you need to release that, release it, take responsibility where you need to take responsibility. But like I stated in the book, a story of a mother who called on a radio show I said, you're so focused on God fixing your daughter that you've neglected God fixing you. Yeah, that's good. And that's what we need to get back to. Yeah, that's good. I think the only other thing I would add is is just to encourage parents not, or brothers and sisters or whatever, but not to allow um, their child's uh, relationship with Christ to be um, the measurement of, of their relationship with them. I think that yeah. that's a big mistake. That's like, good. So, um, you know, we'll be good when you're good with God. That's a massive fail. Um, yeah, I think, no, that's well said. And I, I think that uh, that's that's been really, as I have family members who are not believers, that's one thing that I've uh, I've tried to to practice and got good advice from a pastor friend on at some point. So that's good. So talk to me a little no, bit that's... about the church then. So you are mm-hmm. a pastor, been a pastor. Uh, you've seen this over and over again. What as ministry leaders can we do to help begin to reverse some of this? 
Yeah, that's that's good. Well, I would say, and I I advise all pastors from time to time, you know, and I'm I want to practice what I preach mm-hmm. is I, I I'll take out First Corinthians chapter four. I'll take out First Peter chapter five in Hebrews chapter thirteen. Now you say, well, what do those passages have to do with the situation that you and I are talking about right now? It has everything to do with it because mm-hmm. in those three chapters. Now there's many others, but in those three chapters, it gives us the standard of what a minister is, mm-hmm. what a shepherd is, what yeah. our responsibility is. Mm-hmm. And so, what I, I advise every pastor to do from time to time, it, you know, we we have articles of faith, and you can look at your job description. You can get in the routine of what church life is like on a daily basis and what needs to be done to facilitate things leading up to Sunday. I get all that. But I think in the midst of a lot of that, um, I wonder how much ministry through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're actually doing. Mm-hmm. And so what I would say to the just the pastors is, one, is start praying more specifically for what kind of burden you need to have for the people, for the young people and for these parents. Mm-hmm. I would also encourage, as I was just recently with a, a group of pastors about our book, Ryan, in Kentucky, most of them admitted to me that they, have a, they know of the problems that we face with young people. Mm-hmm. But after many of them exploring this book, Abandoned Faith, and having a sit-down conversation with me for two hours, which eventually led to an outreach that we put on in a public school with 400 high schoolers, wow. laying out the case for for the, the Christian faith, looking at it in the lens of the resurrection historically was powerful. They came to me and they said, we have, through intimidation and, and ignoring the problem— we have not been there to really come alongside parents and just have conversation yeah. through relationship. And I just encourage pastors as they look at First Corinthians 4, Hebrews 13, and, and 1 Peter 5, and what a shepherd is and being among the sheep and letting them see your faith. Just look for opportunity to grab some of these couples, some of these parents. And if you know some of their situation that they face with their kid or you know that there's a, there's, there's a, there's a couple in your congregation that has a few prodigals, one or two or whatever – what are you doing to minister to that, to meet the needs of that? And you know what? I'd also encourage pastors, if they haven't done this already, we have small groups and Sunday school classes, and those are great. But out of those classes, how many parents actually get together and are, are providing hope and healing, accountability and counsel for each other? Because they're the ones that are going through what the other, you know, they can, totally. they can relate. They've gone through it. So I would encourage pastors also look at opportunity to grow that, to foster that, to get that more mentorship program in Titus chapter two that we see. And what you're going to find is that the more hope and healing that these older couples get in the midst of the struggles that they're facing with their kids, they're going to start engaging the younger generation who are raising younger kids and are going to help them avoid some of the, the mistakes that they made few, a few years ago. Yeah. Yeah, do you when you are talking to most pastors and ministry leaders, do you sense a burden for this demographic or is it is is part of the problem? I mean, so we have churches that are are filled with a lot of gray or white hair and uh praise God for older people who love Jesus. Like I'm I'm pro any age group that loves Jesus. That's yeah. a good thing, but yeah. it's super problematic that more young people right. don't. And so do you sense when you're interacting with Pat, because I would say that's got to be a big thing, like as a pastor or a ministry leader asking yourself, do I even really care that right. about this demographic? So am I willing to do the things that you're talking about? Am I willing to make the changes that might be necessary culturally? I'm not talking doctrinally or theologically, not changing one ounce of that, 
But um, like, w- what do you find when you're talking to pastors about that? Do mm. they care? Yeah. Wow. That's <laughs> the, you and I could probably do another show on another time about you know, do pastors really care? Yeah. Um, because I would say, and you know what, I've gotten in trouble before and I'll probably get in trouble again with some of your audience, but I think there's a, there's a large population of pastors in the church today that shouldn't be pastoring at all. Yeah. Um, I I think that that. they don't care. I don't think they do care. I think a lot of them got into the ministry for all the wrong reasons. Mm -hmm. And I I can smell those kind of guys a mile away. Now I love them. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some of them are wolves in sheep clothing but if you and I look at the if you and I look at the, the the guy listening right now who is in the trenches and they feel called and they're mm-hmm. either leading a church of twenty or, or two thousand, here here's the thing that I would stress to them as we do pray, because man, Ryan, we need more ministers of the gospel. There's yeah, no do. question. We need more we're all as Christians ambassadors, as we're no, as we're told in Second Corinthians five mm-hmm. of Christ, that we are out there to give people to plead, to give them the message of reconciliation. But pastors have a unique role because we're overseers of people's souls. Nowhere mm-hmm. else in scripture is that given to anyone else, not a prophet, mm-hmm. but as a pastor, we're overseers of people's souls and people are to imitate our faith. So you're right. I would say, and I loved how you phrase that because that is the heart of it. Mm-hmm. As much as I could read some of the pastors and walk into a church and kind of understand their makeup, if you will, yeah. um, and what they're emphasizing. Uh, and then, of course, if you hear a sermon, you know, how much of the word of God, you know, how reliant are they on the Holy Spirit? What is mm-hmm. worship like and the fellowship, et cetera? But I would say that's the heart of it, Ryan. You, a pastor listening right now, a, 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 even a Christian leader who's volunteering their time, running a ministry and not getting paid for it, do you really care? Mm-hmm. You you take that question to the, to, to, the, to the presence of God and say, God, do I really care about your people? That's good, and 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 see wh- and see what the Lord speaks back to them. Because you know what, I will admit, I will tell you that the, a few years ago, I remember studying through First Peter when I landed in First Peter five, and I started to look at the standard of a shepherd in First Peter five one through five. And Elder Peter saying, as an elder mm-hmm. of the church, I myself, as he's telling people as being overseers, not being ruly, not for greed, not for gain, not for compulsion. That was me. Yeah, I I was more about myself in my branding, in my messaging, and the way that I presented my programs, and how articulate I was and professional. And if people had a problem, even though I knew I was right and they were wrong, I would prove to them why they were wrong and I was right. I was always defending myself Hmm. in the the process. And when I look at my counseling during the week, and just sometimes I I wasn't even paying attention to what people were saying in my office. Yeah. And there were even a lot of times I would just cancel, I would cancel, I'd have my admins cancel appointments because I just didn't want to deal with so-and-so because I just didn't have the patience. Right. There was so much of my 20 years of ministry experience where I believe, man, it was wood, hay, and stubble, man. Mm-hmm. It's going to be burned up. It's And it's so sad. And, and it started to break me to where I remember then taking a pad of paper and a pen. I highly recommend uh, your listeners to do this. Mm-hmm. I got a pad of paper and a pen, and I opened up the Bible, and I said, okay, where in the Bible does it talk about loving thy neighbor, and also specifically as a minister of the gospel, what my role is in loving people and caring for people, what the Bible explicitly tells me I'm to do mm-hmm. to minister to people at a stricter judgment, James 3.1. And man, it blew me away, Ryan, and I, I began to make changes 
in my life and get my wife and a few other spiritual leaders, men, mm-hmm. to hold me accountable. Mm-hmm. And and the greatest challenge for me is is what you just said earlier. Do I truly love God's people? And the it's moment good. I, and I so I told myself, the moment I stop loving them, I need to get out of the ministry. That's right. Because why am I doing it? You yeah. know. And so I I encourage people to do that. And you know, and if you say, what if somebody says I don't? Mm-hmm. Then they need to get out of the ministry. Yeah. That's the worst thing. That's right. Is because all these people are looking at you, thinking you care, and you don't. Yeah, yeah, that's good, man. I appreciate for what it's worth. You know, the humility to be able to share that story and to repent. And yeah, I mean, if if you ask that question and and your honest answer is I don't love people, you have two options: you can repent or you should quit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. you should not keep doing what you're doing because you're going to hurt yeah. people. Um, yeah. Last thing, let's end on a little bit of a positive note, but what what are some common misconceptions that uh, maybe older generations have of millennials? You know, we hear a lot about millennials' mm-hmm. shortcomings, but but what are some strengths? Where is their great potential? Uh, I know that's kind of three questions, but just like what you mentioned at the top that you have great hope. And so yeah. I'd love to hear you just speak about, well, here's some misconceptions that people have. And, and here's why I think that's wrong. And we actually do have some great hope here. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. Thanks for asking that, Ryan. I would say as we conclude that, look, the millennial generation, many of them are lost. We talked about that and we know that. And so I think in the context of everything we're discussing is I would go back to one thing real quickly about the parents. Yeah. Your job isn't over. Your job isn't over. Even though they may not live at home anymore, doesn't mean that you still don't influence their lives. I would, and I argue this in the book, I'd actually say your 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 responsibility in helping to influence and shape your kid is more important now in their 20s and 30s than it probably was even in their teen life. That's good. Especially the things that we're faced with. So not to give up. We're, and as Christians, we're to keep standing strong. We're to be courageous. We have the power of the Holy Spirit on our side. Mm-hmm. So don't give up. But I'd say is the older generation, sadly, they look at the millennials as really intolerant individuals. But I cite a study in the book. It was actually – it really changed my mind as I started to look at it, and I took that the data and I began to engage uh, young people, particularly at Summit Ministries, where a lot of us go there as Christian thinkers, and we articulate the Christian faith, and we give a case for Christianity to a bunch of college-age students all over the country. And I remember taking some of this data at the time, and I started to engage a lot of these college students from all over the country and saying, you know, who do you, do you think that older people are more intolerant than you are? Because older people think that you're more intolerant mm-hmm. than they are. Well, come to find out, actually, the baby boomer generation is the most intolerant. They're the most rigid um, and hostile um, than than any other generation. The, the matter of fact, the millennials are actually more open mm-hmm. and more engaging on these topics than ever before. And just because they reject what you say doesn't mean they don't care because maybe in some ways when we're dealing with a Christian with biblical literacy – and it's very easy when you get into a disagreement, you get pretty heated. Yeah. So most of the time, the reason the young person more or less rejected what you had to say or didn't want to hear it was because of your temperament, because of your approach. That's good. And so I would say to older people is don't assume that young people don't want to have a conversation with you. They That's want right. adult conversation. They're, it's wired in them. That's how God made all of us. Yep. And so to think that they don't care – and 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 even by the way they look, that they they, they don't want to engage in you. No, we are social creatures. That's how God made us. Mm-hmm. And so when older people take the time to actually get to know, to want to know them, what they think and who they are and what they're pursuing, and and maybe even get into some struggles, yeah. 
Yep. They are so fond by that. I mean, let me just wrap it up by telling you, I was on the phone with a college student who was doing drugs and he got in the wrong crowd. His dad is in my men's group and his dad is a new believer. And I got familiar with this guy. I got acquainted with this guy through one of my board members of my ministry. Well, come to find out this guy was going through some struggles with his son. He didn't have no one to turn to. He had no church. So we have lunch with his father a year later now. I'm on the phone with his son today as I'm, I'm doing this interview with you right now, Ryan. Look, he had to drop out of school because of drugs and he was failing his classes and he was trying to cover it up from his dad. And it just got really ugly, but he cried out to God. And through this this prayer of this young man, he didn't know how it was going to turn out. He didn't know how God was going to answer his prayer. God's moving on his dad, who then gets introduced to me, who then says, let me reach out to your son. Mm-hmm. Now, a year later of discipling this man, he's mm-hmm. getting back on track. We're making a pill back to the school. He's taking summer school classes. He's living back Huge. with his father. He's getting vo- involved in local church. So the older generation is, you know what? We saw a young person in need and we were there to help him. And that's what I encourage older people to do. That's good, man. Yeah. Uh, I would just back to what you were saying a minute ago. One of the things I say about preaching is how you say what you say is just as important as what you say. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I think so much of the rhetoric that I hear right now is almost exclusively criticism and how many people, I mean, as far as like actually trying to, we have 80 million people that fall into this millennial demographic. That is our mm-hmm. largest mission field in America right now. That's right. And if we're going to be engaged there, just for the most part, I don't want to be friends with people who are critics of me all the time. And, mm-hmm. uh, and so maybe like dial back the criticism and, yeah. you know, amp up the actual engagement and listening and seeking to understand. Because I, I do think that there's a lot of, things about the millennial generation that are more misunderstood than truly right. being accurately uh, held. And so I think listening prior to criticizing uh, is really important. So, man, this Absolutely. has been a great conversation and uh, you've written an important book on an important topic. I'm thankful for the work that you're doing. Thanks for taking the time to help unpack this for us. And uh, I just really appreciate uh, everything that you're doing. Well, Ryan, thank you for what you do, and thank you for having me on the show. I pray that the book, Abandoned Faith, will be a blessing to your listeners. Absolutely. Thanks, man. All right, man. God bless you. My thanks to Jason Jimenez. I highly recommend that you uh, pick up his book. Uh, It's been published by uh, Tyndale and uh, in conjunction with Focus on the Family. Again, it's called Abandoned Faith, Why Millennials Are Walking Away and How You Can Lead Them Home. So, Scott, tell me about a few of the things that jumped out to you. Yeah, I thought he, um, so he talks about kind of the equation that has led to the current problem. Mm -hmm. So he talks about how um, there was a sort of a a trend of biblical illiteracy growing in Mm -hmm. the home. Uh, And then when you pair that with, um, so, so, Millennials growing up with the internet mm-hmm. and more information and than ever before being accessible. Mm-hmm. When you pair those together, it creates this recipe for what is happening mm-hmm. with millennials walking away. And I, I, so I thought that was really insightful. But then the other thing I was thinking about, because you guys closed the conversation talking about how often the tone about millennials is criticizing mm-hmm. is sort of like, it's kind of the new version of like get off my lawn kid mm-hmm. sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, and so, but what I was thinking about was, um, I think it's, I think it is, 
hard for millennials grow who, who have grown up with internet, especially mm-hmm. some on the on the later end who um, have been inundated with social media mm-hmm. with examples of essentially here's how you're not awesome mm-hmm. and here's how you should be sure. Um, and when you pair that with, uh, you know, he, he talked about, what was it, 72% of millennials say they didn't respect their parents' marriage. Yeah, terrible. Um, when you pair those together, to me, it creates um, kind of a, almost a greater sympathy mm-hmm. for people who are maybe living, living in, in a way that, that someone from an older generation might look at, look at and think, like, kids these days, this, yeah. you know, this is ridiculous. Yeah. But it gives me more grace to know like, yeah. And if, and if you, if you kind of walk through that as well, you Mm -hmm. may be in the same place. Um, and I do think that, so I'm teaching through John right now and I just got done teaching the, uh, feeding of the 5,000. And so I was studying that in the parallel passages in both Matthew and Mark, and they both have, uh, that detail about Jesus heart toward the crowd. Yeah that when he looked on the crowd, he felt compassion for them. Right. The text is really specific about because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Yeah. And when I compare that to so much of, I'll even put myself in the category, so much of the, the so many of the things that I have thought about um, people of a younger generation, mm-hmm. but more than anything, the rhetoric that you hear and it's not just from like, right? I mean, I, I mean, it's in the media. It's everywhere. Sure. Yeah. So much of the rhetoric, Christian and non, is not reflective of Christ's heart toward the... And the crowd legitimately was a nightmare. Like, they were consumeristic. Right. They weren't really following him as disciples. They just wanted to get their healing fix and all that kind of stuff. And so, and still he looked on them with compassion. I think there's a good lesson in how we should feel toward all people, but mm-hmm. millennials in particular for the sake of our conversation. Yeah. Cause when you talk about the, so it's 80 million, about 80 million people. Yeah. You're saying the biggest generation. It's like a lot right? of people. It's, that's a lot of people. And the, the percentage of uh, that group of people who don't believe who, um, you know, would call themselves nuns, meaning they don't believe in anything mm-hmm. or skeptics. Um, there's a tremendous, I think you say in this episode, but it's like the biggest mission field. Totally. And to, to approach it with the, uh, with the mindset of criticism, I think is the quickest way, just like you wouldn't go to a foreign country and yeah. be like, look at this tribe. Condescendingly man. criticizing your mission field is not a really effective way to build yeah. a bridge and reach them. Yeah. And I will say being, so being a part of that generation, there are some things that I'm like, yeah, that's, this is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. And there's some things about the baby boomers that were ridiculous and some things about everybody, every generation. Yeah. And so I think there is a tremendous opportunity to change the tone and engage for the sake of saving and for mm-hmm. the sake of reaching out for the sake of hopefully turning the tide because millennials are going to be parents mm-hmm. if they aren't already mm-hmm. and uh, they're going to raise kids. Mm-hmm. And if we can start to influence in the right direction, then hopefully, um, you know, we can we can see some some of these things change, yeah. and we trust the Lord in all of it, obviously. But mm-hmm. I think that's a better uh, perspective to have than um, kind of throwing stones. Yeah, I think that's good. Well, I enjoyed this conversation, and uh, as always, thanks for listening. Uh, you can uh, further connect and join in our conversation on social media. You can follow me at, at Ryan Hughley. 
uh, on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find Scott at, at Scott Holthouse on all three of those as well. We would love to hear from you. Uh, we would love, if you have not yet, that you would subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You can find uh, more episodes at ryanhugley.com. Is there anything else that I need to mention that I have not mentioned? Uh, eight hours or less. Eight hours or less. The book is still out. The book is still out. Yeah, it's been a month and it still exists. So you I feel should, like that's you should have win. released it and then took it off the shelves. And then it it's would be gone. this cult classic. Like, yeah. we can't even find a copy. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes. that would be a terrible marketing. Yeah, you can find yeah. my book, Eight Hours or Less, at Amazon.com. And uh, working with Moody, and we have some cool stuff uh, that's going to be coming out in the next couple of months to help supplement and help with that. So looking forward to that. Look forward to being back in the room with you next week. So until then, I hope you have a great great rest of your week and we will meet up with you then. 